strap in and, and hold on and we'll see where this goes. But as you can tell from our music today, that uh, we are focused in on the message of heaven. And today in Colossians chapter 3, I'm looking forward to preaching to you on the subject of being heavenly minded. Now, you can call it morbid if you will, but over the years I have collected uh, unique and memorable gravestone epitaphs. Uh, many of them are humorous, uh, maybe a little strange, but they all speak about the believer's heavenly hope. For instance, there's a cemetery in Nantucket, Massachusetts. It has a headstone with an 1880 death date, and here's what is etched on that headstone. Under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here. There's only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. <laughs> and it is very biblical, right? The body is just the shell. Uh, the spirit, the real you, the mind, the will, the emotions, it goes on to be with the Lord. But one day, we'll get a new pod, if you will. There's a 300-year-old tombstone in Indiana that reads this way. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Now, some smart aleck wisecracker came along after that and read those words and underneath etched their own saying, which said this, To follow you, I will not consent until I know which way you went. <laughs> right? There's a big time difference between heaven and hell and those eternal realities. And then there's this, and many of you housewives and young mothers will certainly appreciate this headstone. It's in a tiny village named Herefordshire, England. And here's what the following epitaph read. Here lies a poor woman who was always tired, for she lived in a place where the help wasn't hired. For her last words on earth were, Dear friends, I am going where washing ain't done, nor sweeping, nor sewing. And everything there is exact to my wishes, for they don't eat, and there's no washing of dishes. Don't mourn for me now, don't mourn for me never, for I'm going to do nothing forever and ever. <laughs> oh my, the amount of thought and intent that went into some of these headstones. You, could, you can tell that uh, these generations gone by had spent time thinking about the reality of eternity. They had a heavenly-minded perspective. And you know, when we think about heaven and we think about what life is going to be beyond the grave, we don't have to go into speculation. We don't have to bother with someone's quote-unquote near-death experience because we already, as Christians, have the ultimate authority on the subject of eternity at Jesus Christ. He conquered death, He conquered the grave, and He gives us eternal life, not only in the here, but then in the hereafter. And I'm thankful for what Jesus said in John 14, that classic passage that many of us already know by heart. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, watch this promise, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Heaven isn't a state of mind. It's not wishful thinking. Heaven is not 
a religious fairy tale that we tell ourselves to make ourselves courageous in the dark. No, according to Jesus, it's a real place. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. Now, I love the writings of C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer. And he had so much insight into the reality of heaven. And he wrote in his great work, Mere Christianity, that the reality of heaven is to affect our daily life now. And it is not just a pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by type of mentality. Listen to what he wrote. He said, quote, If you read history, you find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Aim at heaven, he said, and you will get earth thrown in. But aim at earth, and you will get neither. What great insight. I don't know if C.S. Lewis had just read Colossians 3 when he penned those words, but it's certainly in that same flow of thinking. Because here in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is telling us to be heavenly minded. That is, to develop an eternal perspective to daily life. For the Christ follower, we have to have that worldview that is shaped by heaven. That we come to believe that heaven is really our true home. That this world is passing away and we're just passing through. And in the text today, we're going to see how Paul tells us to be heavenly minded. It should be our first thought, not an afterthought. And Paul gives us here in this text four features of what that means. What does it mean to be heavenly minded or to have that eternal perspective on life? Well, Paul speaks to us in four verses and there are four points to this message that I want you to see here this morning. And number one is this, and we get it from verse 1 in chapter 3. To be heavenly minded means, number one, we exalt a heavenly prince. We exalt a heavenly prince. Notice what verse 1 says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, watch this, seated at the right hand of God. Friend, as I read that passage, I come to understand that heaven is not so much about a place. Friend, it's about a person. Wherever Jesus is, that's where heaven will be. Now, the focus of every heavenly-minded Christian, Paul says here, is upon the resurrected, ascended, glorified Son of God. Notice the key phrase that he uses there, seated at the right hand of God. That's a phrase that you will find salted throughout the New Testament. I'm going to show you some verses here in a moment. But what that speaks of is Christ's exalted position. That He completed His mission in God's salvation program as the sin bearer of the world. And He has received the approval of God the Father. And He has sat down at the appointed place. Now that phrase, uh, seated at the right hand of God, it really speaks of two things. Christ's sovereign rule and Christ's settled rest. Now let me show you some verses that pertain to sovereign rule that are spread throughout our New Testament. When Peter was preaching to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, look at what Peter said there. He said, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree, 
And watch this verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand as prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Praise God today we're not at a mausoleum. Praise God today we're not bowing at a totem pole. Praise God it's not to an idol on a shelf. We have an ascended, exalted, risen Savior at the right hand of the Father. Stephen, as he's being pelted with stones in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, listen to what that verse says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and the glory of God, and Jesus, watch this, standing at the right hand of God, standing up, no doubt, the first to welcome Stephen into his heavenly reward. And then if you go over to Romans 8 and verse 34, Paul adds in that passage that Jesus uh, is not only at the right hand of God, but watch this, He is interceding for us. I have a high priest I have a mediator. I have a divine defense attorney standing in the place uh, giving the good word, the good testimony, interceding, helping me pray and reach the Father. Oh, friend, uh, when we think about the exalted heavenly prince, we're not only talking about his number one sovereign rule, but we're also talking about his settled rest. Imagine what it must have been like on that day that Jesus ascended up through the heavenlies, uh, He went through the first heaven, uh, through the stratosphere, past the second heaven where the moon and the stars and the planets reside. And then, friend, when He landed on the shores of the third heaven, I, friend, I wish I could have been there. Don't you think the angels broke out in glorious praise, in celebration as Jesus Christ returns as ruler, as conqueror, mission accomplished. Maybe God the Father said, uh, This my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He sat down at the Father's right hand, listen, not because He was tired, but because the job was done. It is finished. He sat down as the high priest forever, offering His own blood on an old rugged cross. And the job was done. He sat down because it was finished. Praise the Lord for that today. Oh, we think about our exalted heavenly prince. We read that passage and looked at that in John 14 where it said that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Oh, friend, you think about that. God created the universe in six days. Everything that we see, experience, touch, feel in this physical world, God made in six days, not even breaking a sweat. But the Bible says that Jesus has been in the Father's place for some 2,000 years now preparing a heavenly home for you and I. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it has not entered into the heart of man the things which will be, behold the child of God. Oh, I think about that heavenly prince and I, I think about laying eyes on Jesus Christ for the first time. Friend, uh, heaven is going to be awesome. We read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. The streets of gold. The pearly gates. But friend, I'm telling you, all of that is going to pale into insignificance uh, compared to worshiping at the feet of this exalted heavenly Christ. 
Oh, just imagine. It's the hands of the one who crafted all the stars and the planets. It's the hands of the one who's curled in agony when those nails went through. Those hands will cup your face. And the Bible says He'll wipe away every tear. And friend, if I've just got one crown to cast at His feet, that's heaven enough for me. Oh my goodness. Our exalted heavenly Prince Samuel Rutherford, an old Puritan preacher, said this. He said, Lord Jesus, if I could be in heaven without Thee, it would be hell. And if I could be in hell and have Thee still, it would be heaven for me. For Thou art all the heaven that I need. He's our heavenly Prince. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day! I don't know if some of you believe it today. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Are you excited about going to heaven? (laughs) We have an exalted heavenly prince. What else does it mean to be heavenly minded? Well, number two, I want you to see this. It means that we expand a heavenly perspective. A heavenly prince, then a heavenly perspective. Notice verse 2. Paul says this, Set your minds on things that are above. Not on politics. Not on social media. Not on sports. Not on finance. Not on man's philosophy. Although those things might be good and edifying to some degree, he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. You think we focus too much on the things down here? And because of that, our vision gets clouded. We forget who we are, who we belong to, and where we're going. We get so wrapped up and tore up about what's happening in our streets and politics and what the media is doing and who, what he said, she said on social media and the next video and the next gadget and the next thrill that we forget we're looking at the wrong thing. Because everything around us one day is going to be burned up. It's not going to last. The things of this world, the Bible says, are fading away, but he who does the will of God shall abide forever. You see, to be heavenly minded is a radical shift in thinking where we live in such a way that the reality of eternal life governs our thoughts and actions more than the cares and the concerns of this old sin-cursed world. And don't we need that today? Uh, some, Some people say that preachers like me are good for brainwashing. I'm telling you what, I need my brain washed. I need my brain washed by the Word of God to take all that worldly thinking and all that worldly philosophy and all that fear and all that uh, uh, political strife and the things of the world that just get me down and discouraged. I need God to wash my brain and remind me, hey, son, set your eyes beyond the horizon of this world. Right? It's to believe and to behave based on the fact, listen to this, that heaven... Not earth is our real home. You believe that today? Christian author Randy Alcorn has an interesting way of explaining this concept. Listen to what he says here. He says, quote, Think in terms of a dot and a line. 
Look at this graphic coming up. He said, our lives have two phases. One a dot, and the other a line extending out from that dot. Our present life on earth is the dot. It begins, it's in, it's short, it's fleeting and passing. But that dot extends a, on a line that goes on forever. That line, he said, is eternity, which Christians will spend in heaven. And the Bible says unbelievers will spend separated from God. He said this, the short-sighted person lives in and for the dot. Jesus told a parable about that, called him the rich fool. He just stored up things in his barns. And he didn't have any perspective on life beyond and, and, and the spiritual things of God. And Jesus said, because of that, that man's a fool. But he said this, the Christian with an eternal perspective lives in the dot, but for the line. And that's you and I. Our lives are brief, they're fleeting, they're passing. It's like a vapor that's here for a moment and then vanishes quickly. But beyond that, there's eternity. The greatest challenge to discipleship is getting Christians to live for that line rather than the dot. You see, as a Christian, you're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way to your home. And that's a critical mindset that we need to flip in ourselves. That when this truth sinks in, when you become heavenly minded, it's like flipping a switch. Everything realigns in your life. Your priorities change. Your thought pattern changes. Your behavior changes. It's like realigning a compass that points to true north. And that true north is is heaven and eternity and Christ. Now when the New Testament writers wrote about this, they were so captivated by the thought of being heavenly minded that you can find in the New Testament how it is to permeate and affect every aspect of our living. For instance, let me spell this out for you in more detail. What does it mean to have that heavenly perspective and to expand that in your life? Well, a heavenly perspective changes our morals. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I beg you, watch this, as sojourners and pilgrims. Is a sojourner or a pilgrim reached their destination? No. He says this, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In other words, your eternal perspective should affect what you believe and how you behave in your morality. We're citizens of heaven passing through earth. And friend, I desire to please Jesus Christ. We think about Daniel in Babylon or Joseph in Egypt. We don't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. That's what the world tries to do. To shape you into thinking a certain way. To tear down that biblical foundation and, and get you and I and churches to compromise. I don't get my morals from Dr. Phil. I don't get my morals from Black Lives Matter. I don't need them to tell me what to believe about race and that everybody's created in the image of God and that all life is precious. I don't get my morals from social media which changes one day to the next and how many people can get tweets and likes. I don't get my morals from a political party 
that tells me how to, what I should think and how I should vote. I get my morals from the Word of God. Because it's time-tested. It's true. It never changes. never needs to be revised. It's settled in heaven. And today, listen friend, now more than ever, we need churches and we need Christians who will stand up and stand on the promises of God. Because I'm telling you, we're seeing now in 2021 a lot of Christians and a lot of churches who are compromising to the fear of man rather than to the fear of God. They're more concerned about accepting the morals and the ways of the world so that they won't be viewed on as ignorant or closed-minded or racist or homophobic or whatever label the world tries to place on the church. But you see, when I have an eternal perspective, listen, I don't care about what the world thinks of me because I don't have to stand before them one day and give an account of my life. I have to stand one day before the Lord Jesus Christ and I don't want Him to look upon me with shame and say, why did you compromise there? Why didn't you preach the Word the way that I had it written down? Why did you fold to the culture? It's supposed to permeate your morality. You see what I'm saying? This applies to the here and now where the whole world is trying to tear down your Christian life that eternal perspective changes our morals but then listen to this hope you brought your combat boost to church today because I'm going to step on some toes a heavenly perspective changes our money our money listen to what Jesus said he said Matthew 6 19 and 20 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are we doing that with our time, our talent, our treasure? Or are we wasting it and spending it on frivolous things here in the world that won't have any eternal value? I'm not talking about being a monk, not enjoying life and the good things that God has given you. There's certainly a, a plan and a, and a purpose for that in life, but I'm talking about giving generously to the Lord because you believe that only two things really matter. That's the souls of men and women and that's the Word of God. Those are the only things that are going to pass into eternity with us and therefore I ought to invest all of my earthly treasure. I can't take it with me, but I can send it on ahead by investing in souls and building the kingdom of God here that will affect the eternal trajectory of people forever. Heavenly perspective changes our money. Some of you have trouble with this. You won't tithe. You won't give to God. Because you say, I can't afford it. Well, you can't afford not to give to God. It's a faith problem. You need to get your heart right with the Lord. And when you do that, you'll find joy. And you'll find God meet your needs in some surprising, unbelievable ways. You don't know the real joy of the Christian life until you trust Him in faith. And you start giving the way that He tells you to. A heavenly perspective changes our money. It changes our morals. It changes our motives. Look what Jesus said, Mark 10, 29 and 30. He said, Truly I say to you, there is not one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution... And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying here, look, I'm not going to be indebted to any man. 
You give your life, you surrender yourself to me, you leave father, mother, homeland, you sacrifice, and you live for me, and I will bless you. May not be physically, but it will be eternally and spiritually, certainly. This verse right here is why missionaries and martyrs have been willing to risk everything for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they know that living for the line is better than living for the dot. That the reward in eternity, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that right there is better than any promotion. It's better than any big bank account. It's better than the world's accolade and fame. I just want to hear my Jesus say, well done. And when you get that, it changes your whole motive for what you do in life. It changes why I preach the way that I do. It changes why I serve in the church. Why I plow myself into obscurity and I don't do it for a pat on the back and I don't do it because I'm going to get my name on the plaque. No, I do it because I want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And if He rewards me in some way in eternity in the process, that's just a cherry on top. That's just gravy on the biscuit. And a heavenly perspective not only changes our morals, our money, our motives, but little friend, notice this. <laughs> it changes our miseries. Ain't that good? Romans 8 and 18, some of you need to memorize this and write it down because the church, I believe, is getting redhead for some hard times. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Oh, friend, listen, the pain and the suffering of this life the cancer and the struggle, the disease and the death, the tears and the pain. Paul says, look, it's all preparing us for a greater capacity to enjoy God's full and ultimate restoration one day in heaven. It's like opening up a ticket to a faraway country and getting a slight paper cut and saying, ow, that hurt. But look at the joy that is awaiting for you if you got your ticket punched and you know heaven is where you're headed. You, it'll be worth it after all. Amen? Bible says that Christ is promising to turn our tears into triumph, our groans into glory, our hurts into hallelujahs, and our pains into gain. And friend, when you have that stored up in your heart, you can face cancer. You can face Alzheimer's. You can face death. You can face financial ruin or whatever misery that this world might throw at you. If I've got Jesus and Jesus has got me, it changes my whole perspective. In 1879, C.T. Studd was set to inherit his father's fortune. Listen to this. He would become a millionaire many times over. He was also brilliant. He was athletic as well, the captain of the cricket team at Cambridge University. But something happened to C.T. Studd. He heard D.L. Moody, the Billy Graham of his generation. He heard D.L. Moody preach the gospel, and his world got wrecked. And by that I mean C.T. Studd got saved. And at the age of 23 years old, listen to what he did. C.T. Studd did something unthinkable. He gave back his millions of dollars of inheritance. And he answered the call for ministry to become a missionary. He served for three years with Hudson Taylor in China. And then he spent 19 years as a missionary in the jungles of Africa. 
He was penniless. He was disease-ridden when he died in Africa in 1931. And do you know what his last words were? As they stood beside the bedside of this man of God who had given away every cent that he had. You know what he said? Man, I really regretted that. No. You know what his last words were? Hallelujah! Don't you want that to be the last words on your lips? Hallelujah! It was worth it after all. On the day of his funeral, it is said that about 2,000 tribal Africans who had been converted through his ministry came to pay their respects. Friend, you're writing your legacy today by the life you are living. Live your life in such a way that they will already have your message preached when they come to your funeral to pay respects on that day. Are we living for the dot or are we living for the line? C.T. Studd, he lived for the line and probably his great epitaph that should be etched on every heart is this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And the great tragedy of this life is that we would spend our lives on things that don't matter. Things that one day will crumble, that we'll leave behind. Things that in the eyes of Jesus Christ at the judgment seat will be wood, hay, and stubble. Paul says be heavenly minded. Because we exalt a heavenly prince and we expand a heavenly perspective. And then number three, I want you to see this. Number three, we experience a heavenly protection. Don't check out on me yet. This is probably the best part of the message. We experience a heavenly protection. Look at verse 3. He says, For you have died. He's talking about our old self, the old sinful Derek McCarson. The person you used to be. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what he's saying here, look, you draw your security and your satisfaction from Jesus Christ. In other words, our love, our joy, our peace, our contentment, it flows downward from heaven to earth. And because the world doesn't give us those blessings, oh friend, the world can't take them away. And Paul says that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Notice that key phrase, that's so interesting. What he's saying here is that the source of our spiritual life is not apparent to the visible world. A lost person can look at the life of a believer and it's a total mystery to a lost person. Hey brother, where do you get that joy? How can you have a smile on your face when you tell me you're going through all this bad stuff in your life? Why is it that you Christians waste your Sunday morning going to, the, going to church? Why do you give your money? And a lost person looks at this and says, that makes absolutely no sense. What does the death of a Judean carpenter 2,000 years ago have to do with me today? Why don't you cuss and carry on like everybody else and so on? What makes you go on a mission trip? What makes you believe and do the things that you do? You see what I'm saying here? It's a mystery to somebody because the Bible says the Christian life is hidden. It's like a rose. When you look at a rose, you see the beauty and you smell the fragrance. 
But what you don't see is the, is the root system. The underground that feeds, that nourishes that flower. And what he's saying here is, look, the Christian life is nourished. It is strengthened by a hidden spiritual source. It's Christ in me. It's not because I'm good or I'm great or I'm spiritual or I've done anything of account. I'm worthless. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need grace. But God lives and abodes in my heart and I can't hide it. That's what Paul's getting at here. The world can see the fruit, but they don't understand the root. And the root is in Christ. That I'm, I'm hidden and I'm complete in Him. Now there's also another thought that goes along with this. To be hidden with Christ carries the thought of safety and security. I brought me a little illustration here today and I hope that it will help somebody. I have an envelope here with my name on it. Paul says we're hidden with Christ in God. This is me, this is you, this is the born again child of God. The Bible says that when we believe in Christ, we get a deposit of heaven. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. So I take this piece of paper that says Holy Spirit and I put it inside the envelope to symbolize that I am the house, that I'm the home of the Holy Spirit, that He lives and breathes and moves in me. But then Paul says in this verse, he says, but you're also, your life is hidden in Christ. So here's another envelope that says Jesus Christ. His perfect, His stainless, His sinless life, His righteousness covers me. And so my life, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, my sin, my unsightliness, my evil, my darkness, it's hidden in Christ. So I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ who, who covers my life. And then he says your life is hidden in Christ, in God. And so, we have another envelope that says God the Father. And so I take Christ and I take me and I take the Holy Spirit and, and I am secure in my heavenly Father. Friend, I'm signed, I'm sealed, and soon to be delivered to my heavenly Savior Jesus Christ. And friend, in John 10, 29, he says, All those that are in Christ are beheld in the Father's hand, and the evil one cannot pluck them out. What a safety, what a security we have in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this funny story. <laughs> We've got this crazy cat. Actually, we got three of them. And before I married, I said, I'm not a cat person. Well, look who was right and who was wrong. Turns out I am a cat person. And I reminded my wife the other day, I said, do you remember when we first took our premarital counseling? I said, one of the non-negotiables about living with me is there's not going to be animals on our bed. Well, guess what? There's one there every night. It's like a revolving door. One cat comes in, one cat goes out. So much for pulling up my skirt and being a man. We got this crazy cat in our house. Cat's name is Penny. If you Google scaredy cat, that cat's going to come up. Biggest coward in the world. The rustling of a leaf will make her go hide. But this cat, I was watching it, the crazy thing the other day. I was at my table. I was working on this message, and I could hear, huh, 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 
I could hear the noise of a cat jumping and falling, jumping and falling, jumping and falling. And I could hear something hitting our glass door. And I said, what is that? I wanted to yell at my kids. Well, I looked over there at the glass door, and that cat was jumping up, swatting at a fly. The fly was on the other side of the glass. The cat was jumping up, swatting, landing. Jumping up, swatting, landing. Jumping up and just making a racket and distracting me. And when I read that verse and I saw what that stupid cat was doing, I said, glory, hallelujah. We're hid with Christ in God. I've got an enemy out there who wants to strike and hurt me and take me down. But there's an invisible protective a person there named Jesus Christ. He shields me. I'm complete. I'm in Him. And whatever the enemy would want to do to me, friend, I'm hidden with Christ in God. All the enemy can do is swat and hiss and make a bunch of noise, but I'm sealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't take my salvation. I've got my RSVP in heaven. I'm ready to go. God is in us and we are in Christ. And friend, if the enemy wants to get to you, he's got to go through the Father and through the Son. And when he gets to you, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the child of God is in the grip of grace today. Let me finish with this, number four. We expect a heavenly promise. Notice verse four and we're finished. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul has covered every phase of life in these four verses. As a Christian, your past has been buried and you've been raised with Christ. In the present, you are hidden with Him. And in the future, this verse says that you'll be transformed and translated to be with Christ in glory. Notice one little key word there that is so important. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear, watch this, with. With Him in glory. That entails that we will exit this world and go be with Christ. Where is Christ? He just told us in verse 1. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father seated in that place. This is a veiled reference to the rapture of the church. We're going to leave this place to go be where He is. All the believers will be living at the time of the rapture will be called out of this world, instantly translated, and all the dead in Christ will be raised, their souls reunited with a resurrection body. So in this passage, notice Paul has covered all of the the believer's salvation journey, justification, sanctification, glorification. Right now, we're hidden with Christ, but one day, there's going to be a great revealing, isn't there? We'll be revealed with Christ to inhabit a sinless, ageless, deathless, painless body. Listen to what else the Bible says. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That means wait on it. (laughs) Don't judge the book by its cover. Don't judge me now. You ain't seen nothing yet when God gets done with me. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as 
he is. I don't even have the equipment to behold my heavenly Christ right now. I need an extreme heavenly makeover. Amen. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. It's not reincarnation. It's resurrection glory. God doesn't throw it away. The old body, He remakes it new. Jesus is coming soon. Morning, night, or noon. Some will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. We expect a heavenly promise. Friend, the church's best days are still ahead. Don't you believe the fake news out there. That the church is dead, gone, dead, buried. The church is out of here. you got to be a fool to be... Don't, don't believe what the poison the world is trying to get you to drink. Be heavenly minded. Fill your mind, your soul with the things of God. And every day that goes by, I'm just one day closer to meeting Jesus face to face. And if you're in Christ, listen... I'm moving toward my home. And when you know you're headed home, who can mind the journey? Right? R.G. Lee. He was a great pastor of First Baptist Dallas for many years. He once told a story about living on his family farm. And he said, when I was sitting on the front porch with my mama, Stringing green beans. That's a southern kid's worst nightmare, by the way. If you've ever had to sit on the porch with mama and string beans, you know your day's gone. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He said he was sitting on the front porch with his mama stringing beans. And he, he looked up. He was just a young man. And he asked his mama. He said, Mama, what was the happiest day in your life? And he said his, his mama began to tell a story. She said, I, I remember when I was a little girl when the war between the states was going on, the Civil War. And she said, we, we had gotten news one day that your granddaddy, my daddy, had been killed in battle. And she said, as you can imagine, she said, Mama, she was distraught. She sat and laid in bed for days on end just weeping over the thought of Daddy dying and her not being there. And then she said, one day we was out in the field. One day we were out in the field tending our crops. And said, Mama looked across the field. And she said, look, who's that coming across the field there? I declare that man walks just like your daddy does. She said, Mama went back to, to hoeing those potatoes. And then as they looked up from their work, they wiped the sweat from their brow, looked out again and said, Why, who is that man coming across the field? I swear he walked just like Daddy. And said that as he got closer, they recognized who it was. 
It was daddy walking home from the war. And R.G. Lee said that his mama told him that she threw the hoe up in the air and ran <laughs> across the field. And they had a tearful, a joyful reunion there in that potato field as daddy had come home from the war victorious. R.G. Lee said about that, that was mama's happiest day. When she got to see daddy face to face. And then he said this. As good as it was for mama to see her daddy who they thought was dead but is actually alive. That day will pale in insignificance when the world sees Jesus who they thought was dead really alive coming on the clouds with glory. Friend, I'm telling you one day <laughs> the trumpet's going to sound and we won't even have time to look up across the horizon of this world because He'll be coming with the clouds and we'll be gone in the twinkling of an eye to be with the one who fought the war, the battle with sin and Satan, and was victorious. Amen. Friend, do you know Him today? Is He your Savior? Have you really put your faith and trust in Him Friends, you can't have that heavenly hope until you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of your sin, bowed at His cross, confessed, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me by Your grace. But you can be saved today as our musicians are coming, as we're preparing for invitation. You can know Him in a transforming and a real way this morning. This invitation is for anybody today who wants to profess Christ as Lord and Savior who wants the hope and the joy of heaven you can have it right now as Christ says He'll come and live within you and give you love and joy and peace and, and all those things that we hunger and desire for